It's great to see all of you. I am ready to go. You ready to go? I'm ready to go. After my time with the Lord today and then that worship time, I'm telling you, I'm raring to go. By the way, you guys know I love history. I just wanted to remind all of you, because I don't think any of you were around 500 years ago, right? I mean, you're not quite that, you know. I know I wasn't. You know that 2017 is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, where Martin Luther said, Christ alone, Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, to God alone be the glory. And that changed forever, even what the church looks like. I mean, do you realize before the Reformation, people like you and I never even had a copy of God's Word ourselves? The common person did not have their own copy of the Word of God. We sit here tonight, and that was partly also born out of that whole Reformation. 500 years ago, 1517, Martin Luther nailed those 95 theses to the door of the church at Wittenberg in Germany, and church history was changed forever. Speaking about change tonight, I want to encourage you tonight with this passage of Scripture. 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8 tonight. Three verses, but three verses that, I'm telling you, here is Paul's triumphant testimony. Here is a man who is facing imminent death, and yet he declares nothing but triumph and victory. Now this passage is very special to me personally. This was the passage that I used to preach my own father's funeral 25 years ago. And I want to share these thoughts with you tonight from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Please follow along as I read, for I am already being poured out as an offering, and the time for me to depart is at hand. I have competed well, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, the crown of righteousness is reserved for me. The Lord, the righteous judge, will award it to me in that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have set their affection on his appearing. There are six things that we see revealed here by Paul in this passage. We see his life, his death, his legacy, his reward, his hope, and his longing and desire. And we're going to look at each of those tonight. Now, I have a lot of scriptures in my heart and mind tonight. I'm hoping, because I know that many of you like to know the references of these, I hope I will remember to simply reference them, because I'm not going to be turning there tonight. We're simply going to dive into it, but I'll try to reference them as we go forward. The first thing I want us to see tonight from this triumphant apostle is, first of all, his life. Notice he says, For I am being already poured out as an offering. Paul looks at his life in comparison to the Old Testament wine offering, which was an offering that was poured out beside the altar where the burnt sacrifice was given. And Paul's basically saying, I have given my life back to God 
the one who gave it to me in the first place, the one who gave me a second chance at life, if you will, the one who saved me, the one who redeemed me, the one who set me free from my sins and forgave me. So I gave my life back to him, and now I'm in very good hands. I'm in very safe hands, and yet it is these very hands of God that I feel very safe and secure in that He is now, throughout my life since I came to know Him, He is literally pouring out my life as a drink offering for His glory and for the good of others. And Paul was okay with that. Why? Because Paul knew it was God that was pouring him out. Notice, he's not pouring himself out here. It is the God whose hands he is in that is literally pouring out his life. But that's only because Paul, like he encouraged the Romans in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, or verse 1, to present your body a living sacrifice. And that's what Paul did. That's what he did with his life after he became a Christian. He basically gave his life back to God and said, God, whatever you want to do with my life, and God will pour out Paul's life again in the service of others, and for the glory of God. Paul mentioned this, mentions this sort of philosophy of how he lived his life many times in the New Testament. I'll take you first to Acts chapter 20, verse 24, where Paul says to those in Ephesus, I consider not my life worth anything to me. And that doesn't mean that Paul did not value his life. He did. But what he is saying is, I chose not to live the rest of my life for me. It was never going to be about me anymore. It was going to be about God and what God wanted and, and, and what others needed. That's what my life was going to be all about. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15, Paul says, I to the Corinthians would most gladly be spent for you and spend my life on your behalf. So again, it's that picture of he's just being poured out as this beautiful offering to God. That's what his life was all about. What a challenge to us. No wonder he had such a triumphant testimony as he faces death because of the way he lived his life. And I've always felt, too, that one who is prepared to die like Paul is more even prepared to live. Paul wanted to live as long as God had, you know, a plan and purpose for him living. But when his time was over, then... He was also okay with that. Why? Because his whole life, his whole life was an offering. Being poured out to God. You ever think of your life that way? You know. And how many of us need to go back to Romans 12 and say, God, here, here you are. Here's my life. Take it. You know, use it however you want to. Pour it out, God, on behalf of others and for your glory. But then Paul talks about his death in this way. He says, and the time for me to depart is at hand. The word depart is a really cool word Paul uses for his death here. For a couple reasons. One, this word was used to describe someone getting ready to go on a journey. It was used in the maritime uh, if you will, of of a ship raising its anchor and going from one port to another. And that's how Paul saw his death. 
He didn't see it as the end. He didn't see it as annihilation. He didn't see it in any way other than just simply his existence was here and now it's going to be there in heaven with the Lord. That's how Paul saw his death. No wonder Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5 eight, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The time for me to depart is at hand. Through the Spirit of God, he knew that his death was very, very close. Now, I love the other way this word is used in Paul's day. It was also, this word depart was also used of prisoners being set free, of departing from their prison cell. And think about it from the aspect of a Christian. When you and I die, there is such a freedom that's involved with that. We get to lay aside this old sinful nature that we've been battling all this time on earth. We get to lay aside, you know, a sickness and illness and all that. We get to lay aside, you know, tiredness and, and all the things that come from containing this wonderful treasure that God has given us in this physical body. We get to lay all of that aside and we are finally totally free. That's how Paul saw his death. That's how he could be so triumphant as he faced death. That's why Paul would say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, Philippians 1.21. That's why Paul could say, to depart and be with Christ is far better. See, what Paul was talking about here by using the word departure is that death for the Christian is going somewhere that is incomparably better than where we are now. That's how Paul saw death. And so for him, it was like, God, if it's my time, let's go. And notice, Paul knew where he was going. How sad that there are so many people, even those who profess to know the Lord, that are like, well, I hope I, I, hope I get there, or I, I hope that's where I go when I die. No! God wants us to have that confidence and that assurance now, so that we can live with that security and stability in our life, that we don't have to, like, wonder. These things were written, 1 John 5, 13, that you may know that you have eternal life, presently possess eternal life. It's not something that starts with the day we die. It's something that starts the moment we accept Christ as our Savior. Therefore, we can live every day with the confidence knowing that, especially not knowing when we're going to die, and many times people die unexpectedly, that that moment we die, we are in the very presence of the Lord. And we have departed. We have simply pulled up our anchor from the earth, and we have now placed our ship and our anchor down in heaven with the Lord. And we are free. <laughs> all the stuff that holds us down, all the stuff that holds us back here on earth from serving the Lord the way we would maybe desire and like. Just like Paul said to the Romans in Romans 7, the things that I want to do, I find that I'm not doing. The things that I'm not doing or, or that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. There's this battle going on. And Paul's saying that battle is almost ended now. It's almost ended. Because I'm going to be that prisoner set free. The time for me to depart is at hand. I hope that's the way you look at death tonight. I hope that's the way that you and I can encourage others to look at death tonight. If they know Jesus Christ is their Savior, what a difference it makes. What hope we can have in the face of death. 
It's simply a departure. That's all it is. And that's the way Paul looked at it. Then you'll notice Paul's legacy beginning in verse 7. He says three things here that are very important for us. First of all, he says that he competed well. He entered the arena and he faced the enemy. He fought the good fight. And he told Timothy to do the same thing. Remember? Fight the good fight, Timothy. Fight the good fight. Paul looked at his Christian life as a battle. As a battle. And he had to be willing to fight because there was the enemy of the flesh, there was the enemy of the devil, there is the enemy of this worldly, ungodly system that we live in as well. And all of these things are constantly attacking. And you and I then need to be aware that in this life, until we depart and be with Christ, we are going to be in a battle, which is why. The Bible tells us to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. It's why the Bible tells us that God has supplied us with His armor. Armor that we can clothe ourselves with in Ephesians 6 each and every day. And as I picture Paul here at the end of his life, standing before the precipice of eternity, I see this apostle standing there in his armor, fully clad in his armor, and yet the armor uh, is, is dented. The armor has been obviously through many battles. There might even be some blood on that armor. And there's certainly sweat inside that armor. Because Paul has been engaged in battle after battle after battle. And yet the armor of God that God has supplied has held up through it all. I have fought the fight. I have competed well. I was willing to enter the arena and face down the enemy. And I was willing to go to battle with the armor that God supplied me. What a legacy. What an inspiration to someone like Timothy who thought about giving up. Paul said, listen, life is going to be full of battles, but God will strengthen us through them all. God will supply us with the armor that we need to stand up to it all. We just need to be willing to fight and keep that fight in us because it's all worth it. The souls of men and women are on the line. The church and its health is on the line. Our own spiritual well-being is on the line. It's worth the fight. And Paul said to Timothy, I competed well. Then he says, he not only looks at the life that he lived here on earth, and the legacy that he left behind as fighting a fight, but as finishing the race. Paul saw his life as a race course that God had set out before him. And the Bible teaches us that every single one of us has a specific course that God has set out before us. It's why the author of Hebrews says, let us run with endurance. Hebrews 12, 2, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Did you ever look at your life, first of all, as a battle to be fought, but also as a course to be run? And it's not a sprint. It's a marathon, which again is why you and I need to stay strong in the Lord and we need to grow and we need to make sure that we are breathing the breath of God in and out so that we have that second win, so that when we hit those walls in our life during this long marathon race course, that we have enough to finish the course, just like Paul did. Again, 
Some of us maybe didn't start the race very well, but it's more important how we end the race than how we start. And what's very important here to Paul, especially knowing that his death was looming, was that he finished the course that God had set out for him. Not for anyone else, but for him. And God has a race course, if you will, set out for each one of you in your life. God has some specific course in mind for our life. And the only way that we are going to finish that course is, again, to stay in fellowship with God, to stay strong, to breathe Him in and out every day, getting that wind that we need, waiting upon the Lord, Isaiah 40, to renew our strength and keep on running down that course that He has prepared for us. And then Paul says, I kept the faith. Paul was faithful to his calling and notice the word the in front of faith, which means Paul is also not just faithful to his calling, but he was faithful to the word of God that was entrusted to him because that's what the faith means. And every one of us has been entrusted with the word of God. It's why the writer of Jude says that I, beloved, I was thinking about writing you about our common salvation, but I felt led by the Spirit to write to you and urge you to earnestly contend for the faith which was once for all delivered unto the saints. Jude verse 3. There's only one chapter in Jude, so. Contend for the faith because the Bible and the truth of the Word is always going to be attacked. And God wants us to protect it and promote it and guard it, not add to it, not to take from it, but to keep it intact. In a sense, it's like in going back to the race. A baton was passed to us from that previous generation. And now it is up to us in this generation of Christians to make sure that we pass the baton of God's Word completely to the next generation. Intact, just like we received it. And so Paul says, I kept the faith. What a legacy. Here's a man who at the end of his life was able to say, I fought the fight. I competed well. I finished my course that God set out for me and I kept the faith. Obviously, when death is imminent, we probably more think of our legacy, what we're going to leave behind. But I think, too, as we get older, as we move through life and life keeps going, we begin to think about, what am I going to leave behind? What are people going to think when they remember me after I'm gone? What am I going to be known for? What kind of footsteps am I going to leave behind as a disciple of Jesus Christ for others to follow in? Legacy. What a great legacy Paul left behind for Timothy so that Timothy could be motivated and inspired to keep following the Lord and hang in there and not give up. And then, verse 8, Paul talks about his reward. Finally, the crown of righteousness is reserved for me. Paul says to Timothy, never forget 
that at the end of it all, we will be evaluated, we will be vindicated, and we will be rewarded by the righteous judge. Now, some of you may misunderstand what Paul's saying here. He's not saying, well, all that I did, I did just because I knew I was going to get a reward for it. Paul understands that this reward is eternal responsibility that God now is entrusting to him because of the way he lived his life. In other words, he is reminded and he wants to remind Timothy through this idea of reward that our lives on this earth now have eternal ramifications. That the reward that we will be getting or the rewards that we will be getting will deal with the role and responsibility forever. And that's a big deal. That was a big deal to Paul, and that's something that Paul never lost sight of. I think too many Christians think somehow it's unspiritual or uh, spiritually immature to think about the reward that, that awaits us. No, that's actually for Paul. That was always a motivating factor for his life and why he lived it the way he did. Why he competed well. Why he ran the course all the way. Why he kept the faith. Because he knew that this reward was waiting for him. And one day he wanted to hear Jesus say to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will now make you faithful over many things. Responsibility and reward in the kingdom and throughout eternity. And Paul says, don't ever lose sight of the reward that's coming. And as I quoted on Sundays, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, the writer of Hebrews says, God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love that you have demonstrated towards His name in having served the saints and continuing to serve the saints. Hebrews 6, 10. God will not forget anything, including that cup of cold water. God remembers it all. God even remembers the things that you and I forget that we did. And can I say this, based even on Sunday's message about the widow's might and the cup of cold water, that I think when we get to heaven, one of the things that's going to be turned a little bit upside down for us is, is some of the quote-unquote Christian celebrities that everybody knows down here might not be such a big cheese up there. And people that we don't even know their names. I mean, Christians that lived in, you know, countries that, you know, obviously were anti-Christian, all that, but man, they were faithful to God. They lived for God every day. They poured out their life as a drink those people are going to be rewarded and God's going to bring them and have them step forward and go, here's your reward. We're going, who's that? We never heard of them. Because God is the righteous judge. And God's going to make sure that everyone that deserves something is going to get exactly what they deserve. Nothing more, but nothing less. And that same thing is true for you. God will give you and I exactly what we deserve because of the way we have lived our lives and the legacy that we are leaving 
behind. And that was something that was always there with Paul. Always there with Paul. Then I love this. The hope. His hope. Notice he says, The Lord, the righteous judge, will award it to me in that day. That's a common phrase for Paul in the New Testament. That day. That's his hope. And it's not only in the New Testament referring to a specific day when in 2 Corinthians 5.10 Paul says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive those things done in the body, whether good or bad. The Bema seat judgment of Christ. That's not just referring to that day, even though that's what he's referencing here. That day in the Bible really refers to a lot of different days. It's almost like a season, but it's a whole new season. When everything changes for us. When everything changes for us. What am I talking about? Well, for some of us, that day is like what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, 3 about, about Jesus and, and how he endured the cross. Remember, it says he endured the cross for the joy that was set out for him, for what was awaiting him, for what was ahead of him. Jesus endured the cross. Hebrews 12, 3. Why? Because he knew that there was coming a day when he would go back to the Father and ascend back there and that day would change everything. Well, if that was true of Jesus, how much more true of us? Psalm 1611 says that in his presence is fullness of joy. One day, the Bible says in 1 John 3, 3, that, beloved, we are now the children of God and it has yet not been revealed what we will be, but we know this, that when we see him, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And we will be in his presence and there will be fullness of joy. That day, that day, And if you and I are still alive when Jesus comes in what's called the rapture, then the Bible says this, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That day may be the day of our rapture. That day may be the day of our death. For Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. This mortal cannot inherit immortality. So when this perishable shall put on the imperishable, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall come to pass that which is written by the prophet. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15. That day, that's what Paul's hope was. That one day, everything's going to change. Whether it's through my death, whether it's through the rapture, when I'm in the presence of God, everything's going to change. Everything's going to change. I will be with him. Is that your hope? That's what the Bible calls our blessed hope. That we're not going to exist in a 
sin environment and a cursed environment. We've got a new heaven and a new earth to look forward to. Second, Second Peter chapter 3. In which righteousness dwells. This heaven and earth is going to be destroyed by God and God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. That's our hope that day. That's what Paul's hope was. And that should be our hope as well. And then, Paul's longing and desire. Paul says, but also, these rewards are not only for me, but all those who have set their affection on His appearing. And if you do a word study of the English, set their affection, that is translated here, it literally means what is our longing and desire. And see, for Paul, his longing and desire was for Jesus to come and for that day to begin. That's what Paul's longing and desire was. That's why Paul said to the Colossians in Colossians 3, if you and I have been raised with Christ, then let's set our affection on things above, not things on the earth. Jesus even said in Matthew chapter 6 when he taught his disciples to pray, Pray this, our Father, hallowed in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the longing and desire. Even included in our prayers, do we pray for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done? That's what Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And then I love the very last chapter, the next to last verse in the Bible. Revelation 22.20, Jesus says, I am coming soon. And I love John's response. He says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That, that's a longing there. That's a desire. And Paul said, that should be our longing and desire. That, that should be what we want more than anything else. To see Jesus. To be with Jesus. To have Him come and for everything to change. And Paul says, these things will be part of our reality for all of eternity. If our heart, if that's where our heart is, if that's where our affection and desire and longing is, is for Jesus. Hmm. What a picture. I mean, in a very feeble way, I, the only thing that I in my personal life can even come close to, to trying to picture what Paul thought of when he thought of that longing and desire was I remember as a little, little guy, I had a really, really close relationship with my grandfather, Caparossi. And he had moved away. And I remember those days where mom or dad said, Granddad's coming. And I would literally get up in the window, maybe for an hour or more, and just watch for his car to pull into that driveway. Because I loved him, and I couldn't wait to see him and be with him. Paul says, that should be the way we feel about Jesus. That we can't wait to be with him, and to be in his presence physically, and to have him come and just change this all. 
and make it right. Make it what God created it to be. So in this wonderful passage, Paul is sharing with us here his life, his death, his legacy, his reward, his hope, his longing and desire. We have a few minutes. I'm going to throw a little curve here. Would you mind coming back? I'd like us to end the night with Give Me Jesus. Let's sing that again. Wouldn't that be appropriate to sing tonight after this passage? Let's stand, please, and let's sing Give Me Jesus, and then we'll close tonight in prayer.